Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome this is Smart People Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. And you know we are bringing you some good information. Today, we're going to talk about how to, how to be your best. How to be your best you. Be the best around. around. Sometimes John breaks out into spontaneous singing. We're talking to Dory Clark. Dory's pretty awesome. She recently wrote a book called Reinventing You. And as I say soon on in the interview, it could also be considered inventing you. I mean, it's a great book when it comes to figuring out your strengths, your weaknesses, really evaluating who you are and who you want to be. I think a lot of people, including myself, I never really defined where I want to get to. I just had some vague idea. And with her blueprint, I don't know. I think it helps. Do you know what I thought the best part of this book was? The cover? The cover is good. It looks nice. But do you know how many books that I've read that have said, you need to be the best at this, you need to be able to do that, blah, 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 and they don't give you any steps to do anything? Yep. This book gives you detailed steps for every process that she mentions, and on top of that, there's worksheets in the back of the book, there's questions that you can answer. It's phenomenal. It's a good one. By the way, if you want to... Yeah, and, and I said I wasn't going to do this, but if you want to download it for free, you can get the audiobook through Audible and just go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. There's an Audible icon. Click on it and it'll allow you to download it for free. And if you actually want to purchase the book, 
You can do it through our Amazon page at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Click the Amazon banner at the top of the page. Or if you've got Adblocker on, click the Amazon tab and go through the link there. We haven't pitched the Amazon tab in a while. No, we haven't. And it costs nothing to you. Basically, you're going to Amazon like normal. You're adding stuff into your cart. You're making your daily purchases. And it gives us a little kickback. And you are supporting the show. Yeah, you are supporting the show. So we're not going to do too much talking this time, but I just want to tell you a little bit about Dory. She is, one of the cool things, a former presidential campaign spokeswoman. We mentioned she just wrote a book, Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future. She contributes to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and the American Management Association's publication. She's a columnist for Mint. She owns her own company. She's a consultant and speaker for clients like Google, Yale, World Bank, and... One of the coolest things, I wish I could do this. She's a professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. So she knows her stuff, as do all of our guests. We're going straight into Dory to talk to you about how to reinvent yourself. Dory, thank you so much for being on the show. As I said a few minutes ago when we were kind of prepping, your book, Reinventing You, is fantastic. It's something that John and I truly believe in. It's the self-discovery mixed with the be who you want to be, and it's a step-by-step way of getting there. So just want to say thank you so much for writing this and coming on and talking with us about it. Thank you so much. I wanted to dive right in. There is a quote that I highlighted, circled, starred in your book, and it's, why not take the time to think about how you'd like to be seen in the world and then work strategically to accomplish that? And I love that quote because you're saying, it's okay to say, here's what I want. How do I get there? It's not, you're not being somebody else. You're not putting on this mask. It's something we should all think about. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I'm glad that you highlighted that quote. It's uh, a concept that when I'm giving talks about reinventing you, I really focus in on a lot. Because sometimes you hear pushback from people about the concept of personal branding, that even the idea, even being perceived as somebody who thinks about these kinds of things is seen as as somehow uh, negative or or narcissistic or self-involved or something like that. But Honestly, I, I think that in our society, people have gotten more comfortable with the idea that uh, you have to network. You know, you can't just kind of keep your head down and, and just do your work. You know, I think most people recognize, okay, you need to get out there, you need to meet people, something like that. But in a, a kind of an ironic way, that mentality that, oh, you know, if you just sort of do your thing, if you just do your job, many people seem to think in the realm of, of personal branding that that's the way to go. If you just work, people will notice. They'll sort of pick up on what they need to. But the truth is, what I've discovered is that because we are so overloaded and so overtaxed with connections and people we know, and, you know, we have a thousand Facebook friends. Most people aren't paying that close attention to you. And so their perceptions of you may be two or even three years out of date. And so if you really want to be top of mind for the next promotion, the next opportunity, the next referral, you need to make sure that what people think about you is not just some haphazard impression from 2009, but instead is actually what you want it to be. I have to be honest. When I first got your book and I saw the subtitle on there, the Define Your Brand, I got scared and almost 
turned away from it because the consulting firm that I work for, one of their biggest thing is defining your brand and what is your brand within the company. And I was so happy as I was reading through your book, how is, what do you want your brand in life to be? Not just at your job, at your company. What do you really want to be? What do you really want to do? And it was such a breath of fresh air to see that as opposed to the branding that I'm always battered down with at work saying, what are you going to do for our company? You know, how, how do people in the company know you? So again, thank you again for, for writing Reinventing You because it, it made me realize that my brand needs to be broader than just within my job. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I really appreciate it. And it's certainly something that I was striving to get across in writing the book, uh, I, I think that we all know that the boundaries are blurring more and more these days between our work life and our professional life. I mean, you know, we're all uh, checking our, our iPhones at 10 o'clock at night and <laughs> doing work on the weekends. And I think fortunately, I mean, the, you know, the, the upside, the corollary is that more and more of us are able, if we need to, to go do something or go, go to a kid's sports game or something like that during the day, uh, in, in many enlightened companies, there's more flexibility to be able to do it. But it, it just means that the boundaries boundaries are more permeable. And so similarly, our, our work brand is becoming our personal brand and vice versa. And I actually think that that's, that's a good thing in many ways. I mean, some people are still kind of freaked out about the idea that you know, oh no, I don't want my my work friends to be you know on Facebook or to you know to know things about me or or whatever. But you know, I'm a believer in a transparent society, an authentic society. And the really great news about the internet era is that you can't be someone who you are not for very long. You're going to get discovered. You can't say different things to different people. You can't be two different kinds of people. Uh, and the great news is that it means that there's more permission and, in fact, uh, maybe even more of a mandate moving forward to bring your whole self to what you do, both in your work life and in your, your personal life. As you were saying that, somebody just popped right into my mind. I actually started laughing because I was thinking about Mitt Romney. And, oh, yeah. and I'm thinking, hey, man, everybody can film you. Unless you scan the entire room, everyone in it, you're going to be caught on tape somewhere. So you better be saying what you believe in and stick to those guns. I think we all witnessed what can happen when you try to maybe, I don't want to get too much into it, but maybe be somebody you aren't. Yeah. Well, presidential politics is, is the ultimate example. I mean, I actually come out of a background uh, working in politics. I was a, a spokesperson for Howard Dean during the 2004 campaign cycle. And so I, I witnessed a lot of this up close and I, I've consulted on many political races. And I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, there really used to be, you know, 20, 30 or more years ago, the case where politicians quite literally would say different things uh, when they were in different rooms. You know, they'll, oh, they'll tell the labor people one thing and they'll tell the, the bosses something else because no one could tape them. There was, there was just no accountability. You knew who the reporters were and you could just close the door and lock it and keep them out. But now everybody's a reporter. Everybody's putting out content and it keeps us honest as a society, which I actually think is, is a pretty good thing. I love it too. And that actually is a good lead into reinventing you isn't necessarily be somebody you aren't or worry too much about that. It's more, well, actually, could you tell us more exactly what you were talking about in the book? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the the knocks that you also hear about personal branding from from people is sometimes there's an erroneous perception that what you're talking about is figuring out what the world wants and then somehow molding yourself to fit that. And in fact, that's actually the exact opposite of what I'm talking about because, you know, I, I think that we are exiting the era where what mattered most was, you know, standardization and fitting in and being like everybody else. And, you know, did you, did you go to the, the right schools, the same schools, you know, all, the, all this kind of stuff. And we're really entering a new era where what matters is how you're different, how you're distinct. You know, what's the value that only you can offer? Because in, in a globalized society, you really have to be able to pinpoint that. You know, what is unique? Why do we have to have you at the table and not somebody else? And if you can put your finger on that, that's really powerful knowledge. And so what I'm actually talking about when I talk about personal branding, you know, defining your brand is actually about getting clear on that value that you bring and making the world understand and recognize it rather than the other way around and you sculpting yourself to to fit some kind of uh, preconceived notion. And I also want to say up front that reinventing you could easily be titled inventing you. Like I mm. wish I would have read this before all of my own personal career blunders and screw ups and breakdowns and transfers and all that. I w- because you, and I will go into it, give the kind of step-by-step of finding out who you are, what you want to do that honestly does not get taught. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I, I think that a lot of us blunder through <laughs> the early years <laughs> of our careers. I mean, I, I know that I did. Part of what uh, animated my desire for writing Reinventing You was the fact that I had to reinvent myself a lot in the early part of my career. I started out as a journalist, and I really loved doing that, and, and I probably would have continued down the path of, uh, of being a, a professional journalist. But a year into my career, I got laid off, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was at the start of the sort of massive internet-induced decline of the American newspaper industry. And before long, I realized I was not going to get another newspaper job, and I had to come up with something else. And so I feel fortunate that in the intervening years, I've gotten to do a lot of awesome things. I mean, you know, I was a presidential campaign spokesperson, as I mentioned earlier. I made a documentary film. I was a nonprofit executive director. For the past seven years, I've had my own marketing strategy consultancy. But Ultimately, for for each of those things, I had to kind of fumble my way into it and really work to to reinvent myself. And so I was hoping in writing the book and in, in interviewing the dozens of executives that I talked to for it to try to come up with a little bit of a roadmap for people so that they could have an easier and better and more orderly strategy to follow in doing their own reinvention. I was 16 pages into this book when you started talking about sitting down with your friends, family, and and kind of weak ties to have focus groups and ask them these questions and kind of give them surveys and just sit back and listen. Who or where did you come up with that idea or who gave you that idea? I mean, that was, for me, that was very powerful stuff where I sat there. I was like, wow, that seems like such a logical thing to do. And I've never thought about it. But going to people and asking them how they perceive you definitely helps you figure out what you are, who you are, that type of thing. Where did you come up with that or where did you research that? 
Well, the idea really came from the fact that for a lot of executive coaches, um, when they're retained by a company to work with an executive, the first thing that they'll do usually is uh, as a 360 evaluation, and they call it 360. Of course, you know, a circle um, because you're they're talking to all the people in a circle around you, your boss, your peers, your subordinates, um, maybe people outside the company that deal with you, to try to get a really thorough impression of who you are. And so I, I was asking myself, well, you know, most people, this is a book targeted at individual professionals, and most people aren't so fortunate as to have a company willing to pay for an executive coach for them. I mean, it's great if you do, but, uh, but you know, most of us don't have that luxury. And so the, the question that I ask myself is, how can you still get those insights even if you don't have a company shelling out tens of thousands of dollars for them? And so that was uh, where I came up with the idea of, of suggesting to people that, you know, hey, you can ask these questions yourself. You can do this on your own. As John mentioned, the focus group is one aspect. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more how, for somebody who's listening, how do they get clear on their brand? Absolutely. One of the, the best ways that you can begin to get clear on your brand is actually through what I call the war story method. <laughs> I'll talk a little bit more about that. I mean, having, having worked in politics, I know that you know, when you're coming up with the brand for a candidate, oftentimes, you know, you've got a whole table full of advisors and you're looking at poll numbers and you're, uh, you know, trying to come up with, well, you know, what are, what are the issues the public cares about? And, you know, what are, what are the, the nouns that are most impressive? Oh, you're the candidate of in integrity or the candidate of fairness or whatever. And, you know, really it's, it's just kind of glomming onto something and, uh, and trying to, to make it fit. But when you're an individual and you're trying to come up with something, that's, that's really not the best way to do it. And so I, I had an experience uh, earlier this year which really sort of shaped my understanding of how people can begin to start thinking about their brand. There was a, a gentleman who reached out to me who's a highly placed senior executive at a consulting firm, and he had just turned 50. And he was really starting to, to sort of think about his legacy. You know, he, took, he wanted to write, he wanted to teach. And so he reached out to me to, to, to begin to talk about some of these things. And he said, you know, Dory, there's, there's just one problem. I'm not really sure what I want to say. And of course, here's somebody who had a million things he could have said. He was very knowledgeable about the industries that he had consulted in, very knowledgeable about international affairs and globalization. But, you know, he just wasn't sure with, with all of the, the places that he was, what was his passion? What did he really want to focus on? And so what I suggested to him and what I uh, will suggest to many people is, you know, just, just start small. Take a Saturday, go to a coffee shop and try to write down some of the stories that you have that have particular resonance for you. You know, if there's stories that you return to a lot that you, you know, think about or, or cite, you know, maybe it was the, the time that you really learned what teamwork was or the time when you failed, but you were able to move past it or, or whatever, these sort of archetypal moments. And if you begin to write those down, you can actually begin to see patterns. You can begin to find this, the strands that connect them. And I think that's, that's one of the ways that at a very organic level, you know, sort of bottom-up level, you can begin to see what are the issues that animate you and, you know, what, what are the things that really resonate. And that's just one of the reasons why I loved 
your book, and I'm so glad to talk to you, is you give concrete examples like that that people can just go out and do tomorrow, today. And, and so I really love that stuff. Another thing you talk about is I was hoping you could explain more the idea of taking a break. If you're going through a transition, why should we take a break? Yes. So in Reinventing You, I, I tell the story about a uh, a. a woman who visited a career coach that I interviewed, a woman named Phyllis Stein, who used to head up Radcliffe College Career Services at Harvard University. And so this woman was a veterinarian. And she literally, she had had probably the most punishing work schedule you could possibly imagine. For 14 years, she had never taken a vacation. And she also worked seven days a week. And so she was completely burned out. The first thing she said when she walked into Phyllis's office was, I never want to see another animal again. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, obviously this is a woman who got into being a veterinarian because she loved animals. I mean, that was, that was there somewhere, but she was burned out. She was messed up, frankly, from this. And so Phyllis realized immediately that, in this state, she could not help this woman. I mean, it would, it would, it would basically be like, um, you know, taking a, a starving person that you've just rescued from the Sahara and saying, oh, well, you know, so, so what are your future plans for yourself? I mean, you need to get them hydrated first. You need to, you know, give them the, you know, IV infusions so they can actually get to a place where they can think rationally and clearly. And so Phyllis said, look, I can't help you now. You need to take a really long vacation and then come back. And so the woman did. And nine months later, she returned and she actually was able to come up with a really creative solution for herself. She wanted to travel. And so she uh, developed a career, which she was able to then execute, of being an international public health veterinarian, uh, which is fantastic. And so I think for, for many of us, we get so into the day to day of our lives and our careers that. You, you really lose perspective. I mean, everything is about crossing off the next to-do item or, you know, cleaning out the inbox or, or what have you. And getting a little time off, getting a little perspective can be tremendously valuable. I mean, I know personally, um, about a year and a half ago, I took a month off. I uh, went to India and I really wasn't sure because I was going to be traveling around a lot um, what my internet access situation was going to be. And so, uh, you know, I would check email a couple times a a week, but, you know, I I turned down a lot of consulting work. You know, I I left a lot of money on the table because they said, look, you know, I just, I don't want to be bothered during this time, essentially. I want to be able to live it and to enjoy it. And when I came back, uh, it was, it was fantastic. I felt like I had a lot more perspective. And in fact, at the time, I, uh, the, the day after I returned, I wrote a blog post which uh, then became probably my most popular ever on Harvard Business Review. And I think that I was largely able to do that because I could see things in a a new and more creative way upon my return. I love that part about the blog post because I I won't go into it, but this podcast came out of that break. John and Mm. I were just at this breaking point. I was completely switching careers. John was thinking about it. And a couple of us moved across the country, took months and months off and started to realize, okay, we, we want to learn from people. We want to talk to really smart people or, or people who are living their dream or their passion. And it turned into this, which has snowballed into a bunch of other things, things that you can't 
see when you're in that day-to-day in the same way that that blog post and what it's probably turned into being a book deal or whatever it might be, you can't see that when you're so concerned with the job of the day. That's exactly right. You, you, need, you need perspective or else all you will be capable of doing is these sort of minor marginal improvements. You'll never be able to actually take the exponential leap if you don't allow yourself to, to grasp that perspective. So going with the theme of just this useful things you can do, one of the topics in your book, you talk about when to go back to school versus when not to. And I think that that is a decision facing many people these days with the recent economic climate and not knowing the value of, say, an MBA anymore because it's so expensive. So could you talk about how to decide or how to at least work towards that decision? Absolutely. Yeah, graduate school, I I think that the dialogue has really changed over the past few years uh, as as people are, are beginning to realize that contrary to maybe what our parents told us, more education is not always better. And, you know, I, I should put the asterisk on it. I mean, I think more education is always better, but more formal education. I, I think that for many people, if they're feeling like they're in a rut or they don't know what to do, hmm. school is uh, a, an easy fallback. It's something that, that sounds good. It makes sense. It sounds like a smart decision, a smart investment. And in some cases, it is, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you decide that you want to be in a field that, for instance, is professionally licensed, then you have to. And so, you know, there's, there's really not a debate. If you're going to be a lawyer, you need to go to law school, and that's the end of it. But for many people, they, they seem to think that, you know, oh, gosh, if I, if I just get that journalism degree, maybe I can get a job as a journalist. And sadly, there's no jobs as journalists anymore, so (laughs) I don't know that that's really going to work. You know, many people think that an MBA is a panacea or, or, you know, a master's in psychology or something like that. And, you know, these are all great things, but you have to triage it a little bit. You have to ask yourself some questions. I mean, one is who's paying for it? Because, you know, if, if you're in a position where you're lucky enough that your parents are paying for it or, you know, you have a, you have a uh, spouse that, is, that, you know, it, it has enough money and is willing to underwrite it and they're encouraging you, then God bless you. That's great. Go off and learn and do it. If you think that, that it will be useful information, then by all means, it probably will and it'll probably be a really great experience for you. Um, another question is if you're getting into a top program. I mean, I, I think more and more there is a really big distinction between the the few at the top, you know, you use it, you use it a 1% and the 99%. I mean, if you're getting into Harvard Business School or Stanford or Duke, which is where I teach at the Fuqua School of Business, I mean, those are really brand name institutions and they can really lead you places. If you are getting into something that does not have the same cachet or the same alumni connections, the, the value is a lot more limited. And, um, you know, finally, there's, there's the question, could I get this knowledge in another way, a cheaper way? You know, sometimes if you're, if you're a journalist and you want to make a name for yourself, you don't necessarily need a master's degree. You might just want to start a blog and really try to drive traffic to it. And sometimes that can do the trick even better. That's what I was going to say. If you want to be a journalist, just write. Start writing. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. If it's not easy, but, you know, it's definitely not that easy. So that's great advice there. Another thing you talk about is 
getting a mentor. And the mentorship thing, as I kind of dove into this whole idea of reinventing you over the past couple of years, it's, it's common advice. But the one thing that you do that often some people don't is you talk about how to get a mentor, what to do for your mentor as opposed to what they can do for you, what to look for in a mentor. It's a very important thing, in my opinion, hopefully everybody listening. So could you kind of talk about the mentorship that you talk about? In fact, just uh, two days ago, I was down in Washington uh, speaking at the National Geographic Society, of all things, um, and they have a, uh, a mentor program there, and they invited me down to, uh, to speak to their group of mentors and mentees about this issue. So I, I think it's one that, that really is resonating with a lot of people. One of the challenges is that, you know, last year for my Forbes blog, I interviewed a, a guy who's a Harvard Business School professor named Tom DeLong, and he has a theory which I really agree with, which is that we've kind of faced a, a, a seismic shift in the workforce. Most people who are over 40 have had the benefit of experiencing really good mentors or really good, you know, coaches or teachers or some, you know, someone uh, early in their career that was able to help them out. But uh, he says, and, and from my experience, I think this is true, that most people under 40 have not experienced that. And so you almost have this like holy grail, like, oh, I need a mentor, but you know, no one has mentors. Where are the mentors? And it's because so many of the, the high-performing people that, uh, that in the past would have been great mentors, the best mentors, the performance pressures, and especially the financial and rainmaking pressures on them has intensified dramatically in the past 20 years, but I mean, especially since the, the Great Recession. And so they just don't have time for this anymore. And so one of the points that I make in Reinventing You is the importance of not necessarily you know, hunting for that one perfect person, but looking more broadly. And you know, just because you don't have you know, the one person to teach you everything doesn't mean you can't learn from other people. And so look around you, look at your friends, your peers, you know, even, even your subordinates, your interns. They probably have traits or qualities that you admire. Um, maybe you know, one person's really good at using social media or another person is a great networker or another person uh, is you know, really fantastic at knowing how to do work-life balance. And you can learn pieces from a lot of people, sort of have your own informal mentor board of advisors. But I think a point that you raised, which is really important, is that many people, I think the way that it gets kind of handed down and distorted in, popular, in the popular imagination is that you know, a mentor is this person who magnanimously does all kinds of things for you and you just receive. You're like the lucky one. But in order to have a mentor of any kind, whether they're peer mentors or especially someone who is older and prominent and busy, you need to earn it. You need to find ways to make sure that you're giving back. And it may not immediately be obvious, especially if they're a lot more powerful than you, how you can do it. You know, you don't necessarily have money or jobs or whatever to give the person, but you need to find the way. That is the secret. If you can crack the code and find a way to add value and to give back, even if it's just as simple as promoting them on social media or commenting on their blog posts or listening when they have a problem or offering new perspective or fixing their iPhone when they can't figure it out. Any of those things can make you valuable and can make them want to help you. 
If fixing an iPhone will help get a mentor, John, you should literally should have, have thousands 20. of mentors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Should be full of mentors. <laughs> and then the last specific thing, I mean, I could go on all day, but I know we have a time limit. But the last specific thing out of your book that I was hoping you could tell our listeners about is building your narrative. Because everyone is concerned with the story. We interviewed somebody actually last night, and they were talking about marketing products and how to build your story through social media. How do you build the story of you as opposed to the story of your company or your product? Yeah, that's a really important question. I think that you know, when, we're, when we're talking about our own brand, um, I actually wrote, uh, wrote a piece for, um, for a Huffington Post blog a couple of years ago um, about the question of your, your personal brand and why you're uh, why your personal brand should ideally not be the same thing as your uh, your company brand. You, you need to the, the way that that I look at it. I mean, ultimately, let's say you're an employee at a large company. You know, it's a little different if you're self-employed. But if you're if you're an employee at a company, you want to make sure that your brand does not contradict your company's brand because if it if it does, then it may cause problems. And, uh, you know, they may, may begin to say, well, you know, wait a minute, why, why are you here if we are the safe, stable company and you're writing posts about Satan worship or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you don't want it to be wildly different, but uh, you want to make sure that you are known and, and recognized for your own unique talents. And so something that I suggest is to really you know, even if you are, you know, sort of embedded in a corporate environment, think about it like a Venn diagram, you know, hearkening back to, uh, to junior high, the place where the circles overlap, you know, what are the places where your brand coincides with what your company's brand is? And in certain ways and in certain channels, you can be emphasizing those things. I mean, in fact, in some cases, your corporate brand can actually give you a lift, uh, if you're associated with it. I mean, I always think of Guy Kawasaki, who, you know, literally 30 years later, one of the things that is almost always mentioned first about him and, you know, that he cites with pride in his bio is that he was an evangelist for Apple, you know, in the early <laughs> 1980s. But that's something that was, you know, such a cool job and had such a sort of definitive brand associated with it of, you know, being modern and hip and different and cool uh, that, you know, that, that's carried with him. And so, you know, there's pieces there. And, you know, then the question is how you can make sure that you are known and recognized as part of your company's brand, but also more than that. And that's why I really encourage people to, as they're thinking through how to, how to manifest their brand and live it in the world, to operate on two tracks. You know, there's the social media track where you're creating content, you're writing things, you're, uh, you're basically putting out a beacon and getting known for certain things and in certain ways. And then there's also the real world track. You know, what groups are you participating in? What groups are you founding or leading? Those are the things that you get known for. And, uh, you know, what is the company that you keep? And if you can be going on, on both of those fronts simultaneously, you can develop a, a very strong and individuated personal brand pretty fast. I'm going to ask this question, and I know there might not be an answer but while I have you on the phone, I, I, I need to ask it. I look at this and I think about rebranding myself and defining who I am and then moving forward and doing that. But the one thing that always holds myself back 
is money and being able to afford to live. How do you know when the right time to make that leap or what's a good way to figure that out? I mean, is that even an answerable question? Is it something that you just know and everything comes together right? Or do you just need to do it and hope, hey, this is what I'm doing now? Yeah. One of the themes that I try to drive home in reinventing you is the fact that you, sh- you know, reinvention, in, you know, for in some ways and for some people can be a scary term or, you know, a scary thought because it might connote, you know, this, this sort of wholesale change of jumping into something new. And I, I really advise against that. I, I, I'm a fairly cautious person by nature. And I would never advise somebody, you know, if they don't have any savings to, you know, just quit their job and go and, oh, it'll work out. You know, <laughs> I, I want people to, to be, to be careful, but I do try to lay out a, a little bit of a you know guidepost uh, so that people can do it. I mean, the way that I would think about something like this, because I have done this m- myself many times, but most most recently, seven years ago, when I started my company as a as a marketing consultant, I had a, a job running a, a nonprofit, and I quit, and I I didn't have any clients. I had you know zero income coming in, <laughs> and I thought you know I'm going to start this business. And it might have seemed risky to other people, but in, in, my, in my mind, it actually was, uh, was not too bad for a few reasons. I mean, number one, you need to evaluate and, and sort of constantly be taking the pulse of how much you either like or dislike what you're doing now. You know, basically, it's like, how bad is the alternative? If you're at a place where you are miserable every day and you hate what you're doing, Check. then... <laughs> it, you know, regardless of how much money you make, it may be worth it to you just to leave that. And, you know, that's something that, that is worth um, keeping in mind. Another question is, uh, you know, what are, what are the outgoing expenses that you have to keep in mind? I try to really make a point of always living below my means, and I'm kind of obsessive about saving. And the more that you do that, the more freedom and autonomy you ultimately have. So uh, if, you, if you're able to, to kind of cultivate that, that's great. And then the third piece is, you know, thinking, thinking through your, your baseline. I was, uh, as a nonprofit executive director, I was making so little money that it was actually like, you know, geez, if I can just get two or three clients, I, you know, I can probably make more. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't seem too bad. Um, but you, you can do all those things and, and, you know, you don't have to jump off the cliff. There are ways including volunteering, uh, job shadowing, taking a board membership, things like that, where you can build connections and gain experience on the side while you're doing your day job. And hopefully when you actually do decide to make some kind of a change, uh, that you're able to do it with enough of a cushion or enough connections that it's not really such a dramatic move after all. That reminds me of something I highlighted in your book that I haven't got a chance to check out yet. But you mentioned a company called Vocation Vacations. Yes. What is that? Sounded <laughs> cool. Yeah, it is. It is a, a pretty cool concept. It's run by a guy named Brian Kurth, and uh, they actually they've uh, they've rebranded them, themselves since my book came out. Uh, called they're now called Pivot Planet, uh, so you can find them there. But uh, I think I think it's really a, t- a terrific idea. Basically, uh, the model is that they have a pool of people who have every career you can possibly imagine. Some of them are um, sort of archetypal 
uh, dream careers that people might have, you know, like, oh, you know, this person owns a bakery or this person's a freelance writer or this person is a, is a you know, travel photojournalist, you know, um, all those kinds of things. They also have ones that are truly wacky, like an alpaca rancher and a schooner captain. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they have this whole roster that you can pick from. And if you are looking for inspiration, uh, either, you know, just to have you know, to have fun and try something out for kicks, or if you're really serious and want to make a, a move, you can pay to either do job shadowing for a few days, a week, um, or if you want to have a more moderate investment, you can have phone or Skype mentoring with these people. And it really enables you to, uh, to try something out before you in the case of an alpaca rancher, before you actually, you know, start start buying ranches or, or things like that, you can test it out and see if it's something that that really does appeal to you, which I think is enormously powerful because that's, you know, iteration is honestly the only way that we will know for sure. Yeah, it goes back to the fact John and I have been hearing a lot through interviews recently. It's the experiential learning. It's do things, and that's the only way. You can read about them. You can think about them. But until you do it, you don't know how it fits with you. And it just it makes sense once it gets kind of drilled into you. Exactly. <laughs> well, Dory, thank you so much for being on the show. As we mentioned, your book, Reinventing You, is fantastic. We only kind of graze the surface of all the advice, the steps that you give in there to help people learn about themselves, where they want to go, what they want to be, how they want to be seen. Where else can our listeners go to find you? I know you do a lot of writing. And so if they want to kind of consume what you put out there, where can they find you? That's great. Uh, my website is doryclark.com, which is D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. I, uh, I blog regularly for Forbes and the Harvard Business Review, and I link all of those posts off my website. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Dory Clark. And of course, my book is Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future, which is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all kinds of fine real-world bookstores do. Awesome. And we will put a link to pick up your book at smartpeoplepodcast.com. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it, and we love what you have to say. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. All right. Have a great night. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Dory Clark. If you guys enjoyed the interview, tweet at her, at Dory Clark. Tweet at us, Smart People Pod. Let's have some conversations. We can talk about the show, what you liked, what you didn't like. Or anything else. How's the weather? Actually, just tweeted her. I love it when people do that. They're like, hey, at Dory Clark, heard you on at Smart People Pod, loved it. You guys rock. It's the coolest. It's one of the coolest things to get. You can actually write whatever you want. You don't have to listen to what Chris says each week. And I know you, he really wants to see these tweets, but... They happen. Write, I like them. Write whatever you'd like. And if you want to tell us you enjoy what we're doing, or even if you don't, but preferably if you do, on iTunes, you can leave us a review, and that helps as well. We hope that you are getting value out of our shows because that is why we do it every week for the past 100-plus episodes. It's fun, and you guys are the best when you email us and say, good stuff, enjoyed your episode on the way to work, blah, blah, blah. It's really, it's really great. So thanks for listening. Thanks for dedicating this 30 to 40 minutes to our show. Have a great week. Later's on the Minjay. <laughs>